0: Spray breaky, I always remember being shouted out across the field because um, there was a, it was a code basically for people uh, doing things they probably shouldn't be doing on the field. They shouted <laughs> yeah. it very loud as he was walking over and then that echoed around the field.
1: Um, a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. warning system, a meerkat warning system. A very good warning system. Yeah. Hello there. My name is Kit Rackley, my pronouns are they, them, and this is Coffee and Geography. The aim of the show is to get to know, explore, and celebrate the diverse and intersectional range of people on this rock we call home, and their love and passions of it. We'll find out why guests identify as geographers, and if they don't exactly, we'll have fun exploring all the myriad of ways that connects their life to geography. So, pour your favourite brew, get cosy, and listen in. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at Coffee Jog Pot. Off we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Coffee and Geography. And I'm joined with someone who I've got lots of connections to. Not met that much, but actually very connected to, as you'll very much uh, find out during the episode. And I'm joined by Niall Cole. Hello. Hello. Good
0: morning. I'm glad to say that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, cool. She's out there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's. um 10 past 10 and to give a time stamp everybody because you're listening to this in well you'll be listening to this whenever you're listening to it but earliest is probably november what's today now was it 26th of august so yeah and uh, that's actually quite a relevant day because that means yourself you are of course a week away from
0: starting your first full-time teaching post congratulations <laughs> thank you yeah I don't yeah We'll wait and see how that one goes. I'm feel, I'm I'm feeling ready. I mean, I'm at the point now. I think where I'm kind of ready to get back into it, but I have absolutely no idea. Like, I mean, loads of people last year said to me that kind of they forgot how to teach when they got back after the summer holiday. <laughs> so considering I only had one year of like training, I'm I'm a bit worried about how those first few lessons are going to go. But excited at the same time, just to get back into the flow of everything. and
1: yeah i i remember that feeling it's like a mixture of complete excitement not waiting to not can't wait to see the kids again and complete dread at the same time <laughs> yeah and um i've got a lot of plenty of plenty of friends and and teaching colleagues in in the united states for example who are who are listening to this i do not know you folks how you can have like 3 months break you know um for everybody who just didn't see niall's face there, niall's face was like what so but yeah it's like because i don't know it's i i don't know where i stand with this some people argue it'd be nicer to have more regular but shorter breaks some people would say no i'd want an even bigger summer i don't i don't know where well, i go backwards and
0: forwards with for that i don't know what do you think though? i mean you don't you haven't even started the career really i don't know if you have an opinion <laughs> <laughs> i've seen that recently i've seen a lot of people on edgy twitter go like saying about oh like kind of more like separated breaks maybe like two weeks breaks all the way through and i don't really think i've got an opinion yet it's nice to have like the kind of four weeks breaks so like in the summer and kind of enjoy those mm. summer months but then at the same time I feel like you do get quite run down don't you like towards the end of yeah. half term so it might be been like nice to have a little bit longer there but I feel like you never really know do you, until you actually kind of get into it and try them both out absolutely i'll tell you what right okay actually this is where like the lag the
1: ridiculous lag between recording and release is actually going to work in our favor right because as you're listening to the first time it'll be at least november right so here's a sweepstakes for everybody right no do not say anything live on twitter at the time right when did niall cole hit the wall was it a just a couple of weeks into term b halfway <laughs> for the half, half term or it's not till november at the time but anyway yeah i mean i used to hit I used to have be so full of energy for the first week or two, and then boom, and then already I was looking. And I've, I've seen some poor teachers on Twitter already saying, I haven't even started back yet. And I'm already looking forward to time <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, um, if you're not in the teacher profession, you're probably thinking, oh, we go teachers moaning again about it. But But if, if you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. All right. Just speak to teachers. Okay, so Noel um, was a trainee geography teacher and now going to be what we call an NQT, a newly qualified teacher, a keen sportsman that is interested in everything and has learned not yet to say uh, no. Well, you'll learn very quickly, trust me. Uh, this means that you can find Noel teaching um, find at many teaching events, particularly those of the Royal Geographical Society and the Geographic Association, as a scholar um, and presenting the Friday Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. So hopefully, um, Yep, no, you're back on the air by the time everybody's listening to this. That'd be awesome. You also supervise the Duke and Venera exp- expeditions or angry drivers on the local roads.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, these Norfolk roads. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, because like, that was mainly about cycling, and uh, I feel like you're really angry like, at any sort oh. of driver, um, or, and when I'm walking as well. But in Norfolk, there's a, I've forgotten what road it is, I think it might be the A11, but they do a time chart down the A11. Um, and I think that really winds people up as well. But I always look at the cyclists and I'm just like, why, why would you want to cycle down that road? Like Cars are flying <laughs> past you. So I tend to sit to the back roads and yeah. enjoy the views.
1: As someone who used to
0: cycle to work quite a
1: lot, I, I never I really, really got quite anxious trying to go on those big roads. And I would stay on them as, as short as possible time as I possibly could. And for those of you folks who are not aware about uh, the county of Norfolk, we don't have a motorway. We have, you know, the A11 is a, is one of our major carriageways between. It runs between um, between Norwich. It, it kind of goes toward through Fetford, um and then joins up the M11, but not until we, we get into Essex. So, yeah, right. So now um, we are drinking a brew. We are. What do you What do you have with you today?
0: So um, it's a Laor coffee. Yeah, classic. I think some people say they used to be carte noire, but I'm not too sure. Um, (laughs) And then, yeah, but it's from a coffee machine. So I thought, because obviously you talked a lot about where the coffees come from. Um, So Tassimo pods, I don't know if you've heard of them. Mm. Um, So they're like kind of pod machines and they do these like T-discs, they're called. Uh, So there's an interesting, because I know you're quite interested in going and looking at some of the sustainability. Um, Because there's, I'm waiting to find out myself still. But you can recycle them um using Terracycling, uh Terracycle system. But I haven't looked too much into uh, how kind of sustainable and stuff it like is. So it might be interesting to, to check that one out. I love how now I'm getting to, you know, the point where I've talked to quite a few people. So uh
1: I think you're what well, we what we we'll on at the moment, I think you're my 20 i think this is 24 right huh. <laughs> and the last person to mention Terra psycho actually was uh, dr jess tipton and uh, who was episode 16 so um we're st- i'm starting to get this thing now where where there's connections being made between guests which is perfect because this is one of the things that this podcast is aiming for is that there's more that connects us you know than we realize so yeah that's really cool and that'll be something that's going to be great for the coffee and geography interactive map which people can find on the website and uh, to see if they can investigate the sustainability. And I know that, uh, that, uh, an old people like yourself and other dual teachers keep an eye on that map, might be able to use it as a learning resource. So, <laughs> definitely,
0: yeah.
1: Right, your location then. So, we'll, we're probably going to talk a bit about this because we've both got big connections to where you're from, and that is the South Norfolk area. And in fact, you, uh, you were born and raised in the catchment area of the school I taught at for 13 years. Hmm. So, um, in, in South Norfolk, but, um, you're you're going to be moving away at some point how much of a south norfolk lad are you i mean how much does it form your identity? Is
0: no I, well i i love it i like kind of i love everything that i can do i mean I, I always talk about how it's kind of pretty impressive how i'm literally 10 minutes drive from norwich city center and you get all everything there that you kind of want of city life and urban life and all of the kind of unique history that's gone into the city whilst also being right on the broads um so there's mm-hmm. such a lucky balance which i don't think you probably get in many other places um so i will miss that side of it but i, I mean I, I was thinking it's interesting with place because i always associate place with the people and kind of that i meet in those areas rather than necessarily the area itself so i've never felt too attached to one specific place and more kind of tend to float around wherever i want to go and see the people that i want to see so i definitely associate myself as a, a south norfolk boy but um kind of I, I like to just take in everywhere i go really and see how it is when i get there
1: you you did the you did your teacher training your pgc course at the university of East Anglia, yeah. which is how we met um
0: and and
1: i'm just wondering because you've got quite a few majority of people on that cohort would have been people who've come from other parts of the country so did you ever get into a conversation with those other folks about, you know, why is it you decided to do your PGC local, why you did do what everybody else does and kind of go somewhere else and do it? I mean...
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting year as well because I think, obviously, with kind of COVID and pandemic, I mean, mm. and probably everyone comes up with that at some point and mentions how that's impacted things. But I think there's a, there a real, ma- like, mixture this year of people that were from Norfolk or different areas of Norfolk and then people that had moved. And actually, a lot of people were quite surprised about the people that had moved to Norfolk to do the PGCE because in this year it was harder to meet people on your course yeah. like people didn't like everything was online pretty much I think I had a week worth of in in kind of uni days and then everything in on placements were obviously in wow. person yeah but um, obviously the session that you did with us was online um, and mm-hmm. everything else was kind of the same so it was quite hard to go and meet people and we didn't really kind of go and see each other on the cohort but when we got into conversations about it and it's quite it's quite funny and it's quite funny the perceptions that some of them formed i'd say of norfolk um so like some of them who because we were, we would often go for like maybe countryside walks that's one of the things that you could still go and do for large parts of it and we'd go to really like kind of really nice places like Burnham, and ovary Stave, and like kind of yeah. so their perception of norfolk was kind of like this posh norfolk kind of like <laughs> land rovers barber jackets <laughs> that sort of kind of norfolk and they're like oh i really like the norfolk lifestyle and it's slow and it, that's not necessarily how I think a lot of people from Norfolk would assume or would kind of call their, their like describe their lifestyle. But I also think Norfolk is such a, a a diverse place in terms of like wherever you go, that you've got so many different kind of I wouldn't say cultures but just different ways of life and um, mm. different activities and stuff that people tend to do that and Nor- Norwich itself is very different even if you go then fifteen minutes outside of Norwich like what you would expect. So it was interesting to get their kind of opinions of the area when they had only kind of been able to see very small, like segments of it. Um, but yeah, it was interesting.
1: Yeah. And when I, when I taught, when I taught at the high school, um, right near where you live, um, it was, what was really interesting to me is that, is that it was it was a microcosm of course of, of the area. It was, it was, it was very, very wide. It wasn't very diverse in terms of, in terms of race in that respect, but it was, it was exceptionally diverse, as you just said, with regards to the different ways of life that each of these students had. So, even though you know we only had, I think it was only like two percent of the students were non-white, mm-hmm. which was which is generally reflective of the area. But um, but even within those, you still had quite stark differences. And the caption area of the school actually expanded while I was there to include um, and you'll recognize these names and I'll, I'll describe what they are for other people but to include places like lakenham you know in norwich yeah. which isn't which for everybody who don't know that's an inner city part of norwich which is one of the one of the more deprived parts of, of norwich in some respects but then you've got and then it then you go out to the ups, opposite end to where you are you know in the rockland area which is very rural uh, a mixture of people who have who have very strong rural backgrounds, a couple of areas which have got rural poverty, but very, very affluent rural areas as well. And it was just, and even the mixture, the diversity with in between the rural folk was just incredible to me. Um, So I tried to play on that diversity as much as I I possibly could. And we don't want to be homogenizing people even on that respect. So yeah, that's really, really interesting. Um, And you mentioned, I wonder if you know this fact then. So the other really cool thing about that area is it is one of the highest points in the county? In fact, the second highest point in the county. Did
0: you know that? No, nah. <laughs> not but not certainly still trying to work out whereabouts based on my knowledge of the area where that would be.
1: <laughs> think of think of What kind of infrastructure likes tall, tallest bits?
0: You, you have got there is The, the telephone poles there, the, the telegraph poles, isn't there? The tel- the, t- the telephone towers. Yep
1: they're the ones Very. that is <laughs> that is the second highest point in norfolk that is so and the first highest point is Cromer ridge of course the, the, yeah. the peak of Cromer ridge so here you go everybody. you're gonna laugh at this right all right no i'm, not, I'm just because you're jog teacher doesn't mean you know this off the fact but have a have a guess how high do you reckon the base of those those poles are
0: the base um oh let's go like 85 meters Oh, you're so close,
1: yeah, yeah, it more or less is, yep, right, so there you go, which for everybody this is this is the second highest point in Norfolk, right that is only about two hundred and sixty feet above sea level, right, <laughs> <laughs> and the school where I taught at is seventy five meters above sea level, so about two hundred and fifty feet, so yeah that's that's um, but dispel this myth for us because everybody thinks Norfolk totally flat so but you've been you've cycled around norfolk yeah. you're shaking your head you cycled around norfolk so tell us what what's it re- in reality i
0: always say this I, it's very undulating like it's very up yeah. and down and like on any on any of my cycle routes there's quite a few hills they're all short but like I, there's no flat hardly at all there's, there's one part where i'm literally cycling along a road like in, in a valley along like kind of along the river and that is flat but then anywhere outside of it you are going up a hill like they're very short but they're very up and down you never really get much of a much of a break and particularly I mean North Norfolk's even I'd say more kind of undulating but it yeah. Mm. And Gas Hill in Norwich. That's Gas that.
1: Hill Norwich. Any,
0: anyone that's been in and around Norwich and does some running or cycling or wants a bit of a challenge knows Gas Hill. So there are some hills. It's not completely flat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And a shout out to one of my ex-students who went to that high school, um, Johanna, who in episode 18 talked about the gasp, he ought to gasp. So yeah, and I used to live at the top of gas hills. So uh, I did the gasp voluntarily sometimes getting back home from work uh-huh. <laughs> when I was much, much fitter. <laughs> But yeah, you talked about North Norfolk, of course, and that's where the um, the glacial terminal moraine of Cromer Ridge is located, and and that is the highest point in Norfolk, standing at around a hundred meters above sea level, three hundred thirty feet. So yeah, just because we're low lying, everybody doesn't mean it's not. And now will use the perfect word, undulating, because <laughs> I've cycled, and you can get yeah, right. That's brilliant. So you're you're going to be moving away now um, mm. to not too far away in you know as the crow flies I guess but you're going to Hertfordshire because you're gonna be starting in a school in in Broxbourne so so, so congratulations on that so awesome. how are you feeling about moving away from from your heartland
0: yeah um, so I'm looking forward to that because like I said before kind of you get to meet new people I, I'm going back to I, like a lot of people that I went to university with living in and around that area so I'll get to go and explore that area with them and kind of see how they they see the area but also I mean person that i'm living with he's got so many os maps and he's got so many walks <laughs> and stuff that he's done over the years that he's accumulated and he's already showing them to me so i'm looking forward to that aspect too of just being able to go out and explore because that's that's what i'll do like straight away i kind of get out on my bike or go and walk around and kind of take in the area so from that sense i'm looking forward to it um and i'll, pro- I'll probably come back to norfolk all the time um yeah. but just kind of that's the thing just try and take in as much as possible while i'm there and then obviously the prospect of new school and kind of new ways of doing things is interesting as well
1: yeah it's very rare i've actually talked to anybody who's like moving out of Norfolk. if you if you <laughs> i've 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 gone the opposite way right so i'm from the area that you're ish that you're moving to so i'm from harlow and essex which is not too far away from broxbourne and i've moved up here and i really really love it up here and i don't really want to move away right but you're going in the opposite direction it's do you get this thing where people say they move to Norfolk and then they seem to not be able to move away, or they find settled here? I mean, do you understand that, or are you like, I can understand why people come here and stay.
0: No, I do, and I, I think it's interesting because <laughs> that is the classic, isn't it? Everyone, and I think people come to the uni and they they don't leave, like they love it so much they don't leave. They get a job, and that that's them set. And everyone used to say it to me when I was younger, and my, I think my perception is changing like quite a bit since I was young when I was younger I was absolutely like I'm getting out of like Norfolk I'm getting out of Norwich like I, I'm gonna go to university I'm gonna live in London or I live in a city like that was very much what I was into um very much kind of corporate lo- lifestyle almost a bit or like kind of thinking about that and I, I think I just rejected everyone else and was like that was my kind of it's almost a bit of like a pushback of like everyone kind of like saying oh you'll love it here and you won't want to leave and you know, like you'll, you'll miss it when you've gone and stuff but now mm-hmm. as I've came back like, I've, and I've seen it very differently to how I saw it when I was younger because obviously i've gone away to university and i came back and this year like i've had to kind of go and explore a little bit more and like now i do understand that that sort of aspect of like why you wouldn't want to leave it's hard though as well as in terms of a balance because as you said before it isn't necessarily the most diverse um kind of place as well so like i I enjoy the the countryside i enjoy going and spending time with people here and at the same time because i like kind of taking in loads and loads and loads of different cultures and kind of spending time with my mates from university who have like kind of different cultures and who kind of are very different people to what I had met who I'd met before in Norwich and Norfolk Uh, like it's 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 kind of I'm being torn between the two and I don't think I I fully know like what I I think maybe that'll change again maybe I'll go away for six months and then I'll be like no I want to go back to Norfolk but um (laughs) i never know i think that's the thing i i want to try out different things all the time and i'm not very good at just sticking to one thing um so maybe sticking to norfolk for the whole life probably isn't necessarily my my lifestyle or my kind of personality but it might end up being if if it draws me back
1: yeah and and in reality you know it's you're absolutely spot on you know it's however whatever happens during the certain periods of your life you know it's it's not just about places it's about people as well i mean you know you get you really strong friendships at one part of your life and then they kind of filter out not because of anything nefarious but maybe just because people grow and move on and they and their circles change and stuff like that so perhaps the reality is, is that our lives are fluid and that probably goes for our sense of place as well and of course places themselves are fluid and changing all the mm. time as well so so if you don't move and flow with the place that then you might become detached from it as well
0: yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> in in the village of Framingham on Inland, of course, very recently they've had epic scale of new housing development, mm. for example, and that's changed the character of that. Well, I, I I wouldn't consider Portland Framingham as a village anymore, to be honest. No. Um, you know, because it it seems to have lost that feel of ordered dwellings. I mean, with all that stuff that's gone on around the last few years how has that how's that felt to you and your and your family about all of this infrastructure and these new builds that have gone in place
0: yeah no i, I think that's the same i was literally about to then say what you just said about it not being a village anymore and such it's in that kind of in between place where it's not really a village and it's not really mm. a town it doesn't have like a town center or anything it's kind of just got like a long road through with houses built the other side of it um and like, i think that it's very interesting to think about how it would grow and it's very much i think it is because it's so close to the edge of Norwich, that like people are moving there, and like kind of why there's like house demand. Then you've obviously got all of that kind of open space to build on. Yeah. Um. I think we're we're kind of the other side of the road. So, like kind of for us, it doesn't necessarily impact like how people see it. But I know my grandparents who have lived kind of in the village that they live in. Um, they've lived there all pretty much or a large part of their life, and they moved away and then moved back. Uh, And they say about how it's changed, but then and my my uncle um lives in in Portland, and they I don't think they've they tend to they haven't really said too much about it because it has been able to accommodate the number of people that have moved so far. but I think that expansion will continue and it would be interesting then to see how people um kind of take that but if Portland kept going, you'd get into into brook soon and then yeah. that's that that's the extension isn't it? How far does that go along and if if that eats into brook, which is probably a bit of a smaller village and has it still has a bit of its identity. Um, as a village, how much that would impact yeah. them would be an interesting thing in a couple of years, maybe.
1: Yeah, that's a good point because there's that new housing estate that's been built on the northern edge of Brook. So there's mm. a tiny little bit that's growing out towards, yeah, it's almost, is this going to continue in this, in in my opinion, this is very unsustainable way of development or is there going to be a point where there's some kind of balance reached or are we going to end up with just a massive conurbation? But So interesting to see how uh, how how that pans out um i'm going to move to a certain specific person then someone who when you was in high school because you went to high school mm-hmm. in norwich and we want to give this person a shout because we both know them in, uh you used to know him as mr sprake uh i used to know him as matt sprake because i was i was a colleague of his but we both know him as Sprakey. yeah so, Sprakey. <laughs> sprake. so we're just going to give a shout out to you Sprakey. i hope you're doing okay so uh so for me yeah he he taught um at the school that I taught at, and we played football with each other quite a fair bit. So, um, but you experienced him as, uh, from a student's point of view. So, go on, dish, yeah. embarrassing him too much, dish the dirt. Go on then.
0: No, well, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> he started off when I first started um, in high school, he was my head of house. So, um, like, he, like, kind of, and that was how I kind of perceived him. He was one of the first people that kind of welcomed us in and everything. And then he grew with us all the way through uh, mm. football. I mean, there's there's a, f- a few different stories I could tell. I remember quite a few of them. I mean, there's Definitely. one in year eight when, um, when I was playing football after school, and I remember I, very vividly. I just I I said to the, like, I just told someone that like it was a rubbish pass, and like he <laughs> he wasn't very happy. Let's just say that he, he pulled me straight over and was like, oh, you can't do that. Like you you need to like think about like kind of how you how you motivate your teammates and help this. And it was very and, and I, I still remember that. So obviously. He was probably right <laughs> um, and probably wasn't the best way to, to treat who, someone who was actually a very good friend, but um, at that point in time, like obviously wasn't very nice to. So he's probably right with that. Um, Sprake, I always remember being shouted out across the field because um, there was a, it was a code basically for people uh, doing things they probably shouldn't be doing on the field. They <laughs> shouted it very loud as he was walking over and then that echoed around the field. Um <laughs> but yeah have a warning system a meerkat warning system a very good warning system yeah. um but yeah I I have I have a lot of a lot of good memories and um probably the the best one was just rem- I remember like getting into university in sixth form because he was then head of um sixth form when I was there and he was still yeah. like managing our sixth form football team uh, but he just ran out um just to say when I'd got my place at Warwick university and I remember him, like running out and kind of talking to me and saying about like his experiences when he'd gone and visited a friend there and just those sort of things where kind of maybe you don't appreciate it so much as a student, but then looking back and like, as you get a bit more kind of mature and get a bit older and you just think about like how, like from a teacher's perspective now, you go, oh, actually, like he must have been so busy and had so many different things going on. Yeah. Uh, and so then kind of, uh, and he would have done that for a lot of students. So to then kind of go out and say that to a student and to kind of take the time to go and do that, it just chose the sort of person they was so yeah got yeah. some different stories from varying levels of kind of <laughs> my behaviour and different people's behaviours <laughs> at school but I can yeah. see yeah Kind of
1: we'll, we'll quit very, while we're ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I
0: don't, I don't usually do
1: discussions where we talk about individuals and stuff like that. But I thought, I thought that'd be nice because for a couple of reasons. Because as you, you just said it yourself, and I was about to say it. Because you were a student going into the teacher profession now, so you've got that kind of like dual experience about how that would feel like from both the students and the teacher's mm-hmm. point of view. And the one thing I'm really, really excited for you, Niall, um, and for everybody listening as well, if you're, if again, if you're not a member of the teacher profession, this is something you need to bear in mind is that I'm really excited for Niall to start getting those experiences where, where you, you get really deep connections with the students that you teach. And then and then there's something, and it might not be a lesson that you teach. It might not be a learning objective. It might not be a piece of knowledge. It could just be the way you treat them as a human being that sticks with you for the rest of their life. And that's the, that's the biggest thing they take forward with them. And I'm so privileged to be in contact with so many ex-students, some I've talked to in this, for this podcast, who I just connect with. As human beings and they say you know the inspiration that you've done has led me to do this that and the other not necessarily the geography all the time so uh, yeah and it's that that one all of you entering the teenage profession right now i'm really really excited for you to have those moments and it's 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 a feeling like no other right but i'm gonna t- we've, we've had a little we've had a little um, harmless mickey take of, of Spraky now so let's let's go <laughs> let's turn it back on you now right so spill in the beans now mr cole Right. <laughs> so apparently you were once a ballet prodigy. so you didn't you didn't elaborate on that so now's your chance to elaborate so come on then spill the beans no
0: i don't really know why i put that one in there even to be honest like i'm thinking back now like why did i put that one in there I don't, maybe someone maybe one of my family told me to put it in there um it, i re- reserve it for certain times i mean i've got quite a lot of photos of me doing ballet and i remember there was, um, like, in high school, uh, quite a few girls kept coming up to me and laughing one day, and I was like, Why are you laughing? <laughs> and then, like, they, they'd actually, what it was, they like, one of the people that was in high school, I didn't even know they had been in the same ballet production that I was in. And so they'd oh, all, in cool. on one of their sleepovers, had gone and watched the ballet production that I had turned out to be in. I was, like, the, the lead. Um, and, like, it was, it's a really weird dance now, I'm thinking back on to it, but I was the only, the male, only male dancer. So like basically what it was is all, all of the kind of young girls were like flowers and they did their performance. And I was the farmer and I had to go around like kind of like watering and doing different <laughs> things. Um, but yeah, so I did ballet until I think I was about nine, I think. And then I played football instead. But um, I, I and I can't remember really any of the stuff that I did or, or any of the moves. Um, and I did gymnastics as well at the same time. Um, and then I kind of just went, actually, I want to play football and got into football. But yeah, I can't remember any of it. I just, people said, Oh, yeah, you're actually quite good at ballet. Apparently the, um, ballet instructor told my mom that she had to take me to a better, um, ballet school because they couldn't take me any further. Um, and then obviously I thought, well, actually, I'd rather just play football. So I (laughs) swam loads at the same time as well. So again, as I was saying before about my personality of just doing loads of different things and not really sticking to one, I kind of did everything at the same time. And then, Probably had to focus more on one or two, so I did swimming and football.
1: Nice. Well, I tell you what, that's I. I think when you do connect with your students, you know, I think you should consider sharing that story because I think, it – seriously, because it's it could give those those kids who, you know, uh, a little bit of feeling that we we shouldn't be really strictly sticking to to gender norms. I mean, crikey, yeah, I, I can go off now so much, but, um, you know, we sh- that there is such a vast array of things that we can do out there, which which. Which are so constricted by society right now. And you can find your place. And like doing that ballet might have, you know, given you the the balance and the skill to make you a decent foot and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's uh that's a pretty cool story. I like that. But um I don't know. I would have preferred to have been the flower rather than a than a farmer, I think. <laughs> I think looking back on it, I probably would have been as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a nice story. Thanks for sharing that. Right. Well, a couple more things then before we close the day. So as already mentioned, um, we are probably yep, so this is going to be released around about the time, if not just after um, there is cop twenty yeah. six so we cannot we cannot because we're both geographers, we cannot go without talking about this, so we are hoping that when people listen this for the very first time there 's been a massive massive breakthrough, and finally, everybody has woken up, the politicians have woken up. And we're all celebrating something meaningful. That's what I hope. But but what we'll do for this little... uh, We haven't done a a jog your memory um, segment for a bit. So jog your memory is when we look at um, a geographical historical event. And then we try and guess when it took place. So, of course, COP26 is based on... It's called the Conference of Parties where loads of different politicians, stakeholders, scientists get together and they try and bash out um, the way forward to deal with environmental issues and, of course, the big one at the moment being the climate crisis. And a big part of that is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, who are um, a collection of, of scientists and researchers who basically gather the existing research. So they don't do new research. They gather the existing research and they voluntarily, without pay, Gather it all together, assess it, synthesize it, analyze it, and put it out as a great big massive report. So we wonder whether the the IPCC report back in August has actually led to anything with COP twenty six. So then, Nile, before we get, before I get to the um the historical side of the things, how are you feeling about the whole process right now? Because there's a lot of people out there with like climate anxiety. How are you going to approach it as a teacher? All that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, it's such a hard one. Um like for for me in terms of kind of like, I when mean, let's not get too political, but obviously my degree no. is in politics, but um, I'm hoping it's, it's the, like the latter, or the, the one that you said where uh, actually everything turns out that we've got a kind of suddenly everything's good. Everyone's realized everyone's woken up and there's a whole new policy that's going to be, so we can hope for that. And I'm obviously hoping for that, but I wouldn't necessarily hold out for it. But in terms yeah. of uh, like teaching approach, I, I don't, I find it hard for me that like I'm like I've always been such a pragmatic person which I think now I'm trying to lose a little bit because I think that it, like pragmatic is sometimes a bit of kind of not necessarily staying in touch with absolutely everything that you kind of feel and um yeah and kind of experience uh but I don't I don't get climate anxiety as such but I, I think I, there is a lot of things where I, I mean some of the probably the best like examples when you just see how we are freely able just to and um, you look at some of the photos over summer and just how people leave places and i mean i'll always go around if i'm if i'm in if I'm in a place and I've seen that like everyone's just left their rubbish and then I'll always kind of try and pick as much up of it as I possibly can, but I think like the fact that we're in a position where people do that and they don't think that's horrible that gives me <laughs> a bit of anxiety for kind of maybe human society yeah <laughs> um but like go in terms of I think it's interesting because we talk a lot about climate change and um kind of the thing, if you look at the Geographical Association, a lot of events within the geography community, there's a big push of trying to bring alertness to the actual climate crisis. And we are in a, a crisis, I'd say, not, like now. like, I think that's not really a denied thing. Um But teaching it this year, I was surprised. Obviously, it's the first time that I've taught, but teaching it and getting students' opinions I was surprised at how many students were like, "Well, duh, we know how much of an issue climate change is." Like, like, I I don't think I was in a a single class where someone turned around to me, except one, like one student, two students, I think, in the total of like two hundred that I taught these couple of lessons to, said that they didn't think that climate change was a serious issue, and like most of them were like, "Well, we know this now. Like, what what can we go and do about it?" Sort of thing. It was more like, and I think sometimes we, we go into this thing, oh, we need to kind of teach students to feel that um, climate change or to be alert to climate change when actually so many of them appeared to already have been alert and they were then looking out for that kind of that next step of what can we do? Mm. What what actual actions can we do that's going to make a difference? And I, I was so surprised because everyone had told me beforehand uh, I like kind of, Oh, like you might get this and you might get that. And I, I didn't get any of that. I, I, everyone and people were coming up to me, like students were coming up to me saying, Oh, so I've gone and done this or I've gone and done that. And, um, I, I'm now buying only sustainable, um, kind of purchases. I'm only buying sustainable clothes, um, those sort of things. Whereas, like, kind of, like they actually wanted, you could see they wanted to make that, that change already. It was more yeah. about just looking for those ideas of, of how. Um, that was quite awakening for me, i think
1: yeah and kids uh, you know we don't give young people enough credit i think well i know that you know most teachers do but i think in society in general don't give young people enough credit and they do seem to be one or two steps ahead of the adults with this so while we're all bickering and i wouldn't say bickering and arguing a lot of us are moving in the same direction but while the education sector is debating shall we say about how we are going to be teaching about the climate change issue the kids are already saying, "Forget all that, we want to know what we want to do. we want what we want to do about it and how we can hold adults to account about it so yeah. they 're already kind of thinking <laughs> the next step ahead of it in front of us which is which is um, which I think is a fantastic point you 've made there and yeah, and you you know you 're quite active on on Twitter as you already mentioned there's so many different groups that people can follow, and you know not just if you 're a teacher but you 've got teachers for climate action you 've got um, radical jog for pull you 've got dr jess tipton you 've got um, global action plan transform our world you've got clover hogan and force of nature you've got the uk sustainable schools network um so yeah there are so many out there that that can that can support teachers. this kind of leads dec and of course the ga and, and all the stuff we've done there so yeah it's um we really do need to move forward in that right okay so let's go to the thing then so the timeline, we'll work backwards with the timeline, right? So we know that COP26, hopefully, we're all celebrating a major step forward today. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Okay, so in 2018 was there, was the IPCC special report on why 1.5 degree of warming was important. Okay, let's go back. Um, the Paris Agreement, which was apparently meant to be a breakthrough, which has turned out to be hot air, I guess, excuse <laughs> the pun. Well, so what, do you remember what year that was? So, so this is... Um, <sighs> Pretty recent. 2015, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah correct. 2015. 2015. Yeah. Right. Okay. So let's go back a little bit further then. So we've got, because um, the IPCC's fifth report was released just a couple of years before that. Right. Okay. When did the uh, Kyoto Protocol get oh. adopted? So this was the first the first time that, in a, at a COP, they decided that there was going to be a Greenhouse Gas uh, Reduction Treaty. When was that? Now, because of your age, we're
0: now starting <laughs> to get into... I think that was before I was born. <laughs> um, mm, it's definitely late 90s. Well done, yeah. Um, in the right area. It is definitely before I was born.
1: <laughs>
0: so, this, uh, ninety? was it 97? Oh, 97? spot on. All right.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> my God, I can't believe you just said before I was born. <laughs> Right, now the earlier, okay, so the only hint I'll give you then, the earliest date we're going to go for was I was still alive. You were definitely not born at this point. So when do you think the, have a guess, when was the IPCC first formed, when they were first established? So this was when the World Meteorological Organization and the United Nations Environmental Programme got together and they decided to form the IPCC. So what year was that?
0: Uh, Is that that in the 80s or is it? Yeah. uh, Yeah. you're going to age me now. Uh, yeah, that's why I've got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's go 85. Okay, that's not a bad guess. Okay, 1988. yeah okay. 1988. So, 88, yeah, so I was six years old then. So, yeah, and that's how long this issue has been going. You know, there's been enough scientific evidence out there. In fact, in 1988, the the, the key moment. And I think you can actually maybe be able to find the speech on YouTube. But NASA scientist James Hansen actually testified to the U.S. Senate that man-made global Mm. warming was a problem, and it's now becoming uh, a visible problem, right? And at the same time, that was the year that the IPCC was formed. So back in the late 80s, the ball was already starting to roll about how they would deal with this problem. And, of course, we know we can deal with this because there was another famous protocol, the Montreal Protocol in 1991 that dealt with the... chlorofluorocarbons, is it? Spot on. Yeah. yeah the whole, <laughs> and to try and reverse the, uh, the damage yeah. to the ozone layer. So there's precedent for this to be done. So we can do it, everybody. Right. <laughs> okay. So let's finish off with something loads of fun now. So what we're going to do is that we like to link all of our guests together by saying about how we are all geographers, right? So this is where you have a word and you've got 30 seconds to link it to geography or geographical processes or a geogra- whatever, however you so wish. Now, we um, spoke to the wonderful Dan Raven-Ellison last time. The word that he um, was given was by a group of ex-students who, who piled on me in a panel discussion, right? They gave him the word impossible to link. <laughs> to the actual, yeah, but, but that, was, that was too easy for him. He nailed it. So while they went a bit abstract with him, they've gone a bit um, Dan's gone a bit nuanced with you, Nile. Okay. Right? Yeah. And it's actually a really lovely word because you can take a personal take on it. And the word that Dan's given you to link to geography is purpose. Alright. Purpose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so thirty seconds on the word purpose.
0: Off you go. Okay, so I can link it to my own purpose. I think geography gives everyone a purpose because it gives them a way of recollecting their own experiences within kind of the world that they live in. So it might be kind of from whether they're interested in physical or human or that interaction of both. Um, But I think once you start to look into every single thing that's around you, once you start to look up, but just kind of every in your own kind of own, what's it, tunnel vision, you can start to kind of see the purpose of everything that's around you. You can start to see the purpose of place, purpose of scent, um, and it can make you feel kind of connected to everyone else that's been there in the past or that'll be there in the future.
1: Yeah, there you go. He's, <laughs> well, I'd say easy. It wasn't, wasn't easy, but it's just so it, much, isn't make, it? It's just, yeah, like, it is. it's
0: just like hard to, and in 30 seconds to narrow it down to something that makes kind of, some sort of sense without kind of just going off on one, <laughs> start listing everything.
1: This is why I'll never go on a game show. <laughs> Excellent, now well done, right? But you get to have your own way with the next guest. Um, so, can you think of a word? Um, it could be anything you like. It could be tangible. It could be abstract. It could be nuanced. It can be an, an object, a place, whatever it so wish. What would you like for the next person to come up with a
0: link to geography? Okay lens which i guess then is quite similar to purpose though because i have my own interpretation of what lens means to me within geography and but i know it could go in so many different ways so okay well let's let's go with
1: lens let's go with lens okay right so to end off so we've already given uh, a shout out to uh who who's probably never gonna listen to this but never mind we'll uh we'll try and twist his arm um <laughs> is there anyone else you'd like to say hi to Niall?
0: Uh, if I was on any other podcast, kit, I'd probably probably mention your name. But oh, obviously, I, I am on your podcast, so that might not might not work. But um, my two mentors probably for the, just the kind of the last year, so Melanie Winnie and James Thompson, um, wow. really really helpful for me. And then um, Helen Edmondson as the the PGC tutor at UEA, yeah, um,
1: yeah,
0: yeah and I think she's 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 working on a lot of different things. I Think which could be quite interesting coming up. So. Yeah, those are three just in terms of my, my own personal kind of from the experiences this year because i think other other guests on the podcast have really smacked it with them and the people to go and explore a bit further
1: <laughs> yeah they really have yeah and that's that's the reason why we do the shout outs is not just for you to say hi but also just to widen the community you know and to mm. people hear the name and they think oh i'd like to go and see what they do as well and helen yeah and a big shout out to helen Anderson, um, who's done such hard work of course he's covering uh from maternity leave and and so is juggling so many balls at the moment. So um, yeah, so that's a lovely shout out to Helen. And finally, so um, hopefully, as we said, you're back on the radio with Teachers Talk Radio on a Friday night. But is there any other way that uh, people can get in touch with you or or follow you? What's your Twitter handle and all that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, so our uh, Twitter handle uh, and it's only Twitter really that kind of you find me. So Geo Mr Cole with a capital G M and C. Yeah geomystical yep. lovely well now this has been an absolute pleasure to have a
1: one-to-one with you rather than for a session or a lesson or the or digital ether so it was good to chat to you and um, yeah and I'm all looking forward to continue working with you in the Jog for Teacher community and very best luck with your NQT you're going to smash it <laughs> thanks Kit <laughs> it's been an absolute
0: pleasure and thank you we'll, we'll see
1: <laughs> thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at coffeegeogpod and send us a DM. Or you could email Geog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.